This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Cents, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Simwee Boon. This year's headlines were mostly dominated by pandemic-related updates, leaving investors in a continuous quest for good options to put their money in. Amid the pandemic-related concerns, thematic investing continues to be a popular trend. Investors who want to capitalize on emerging trends like EVs or remote work have been looking into things like thematic ETFs, which comes with its own unique risk and rewards. But what exactly is it? And how do you assess a team? Joining me to discuss this is Wong Wai Ken, the Malaysia Country Manager for the Robo Advisor Stash Away. Good morning and welcome to the show, Ken. What exactly is thematic investing and how do we mm-hmm. define it? Morning, Wibun. Thanks for having me on the show. So you talked about uh, thematic investments, right? So let's first define the layer. So first you have the outer layer, which is the overarching, say, mega trend, something like urbanization. That's really, really broad and quite hard to invest in specifically. And then you have themes uh, like, say, smart cities, which then you can see we're getting more specific. And then we have sub-themes like EVs, electric vehicles, and we think a collection of these sub-themes is the best exposure to a theme. Yeah, So I think you see where I'm going with this, because if we go under these sub-themes, then you're talking about single stocks already, like, like Tesla, right? So overall, I think thematic portfolios are also actually not particularly new. They've always been around. Essentially, you can think of them as flavors in a in a in an ice cream shop or something like that. But essentially, thematic portfolios is a a focus on a on a high conviction idea that a fund manager has, right? So there's that concentration there. I'm sure you remember the rise of China funds in the early 2000s when China was doing double digit GDP growth, right? I'm sure you remember that. And then it evolved, you know, from moving away from uh, broader index like say S&P to then sector index like BlackRock's XLK, which is a, a tech tracking uh, ETF that, that, that tracks uh, you know, large tech companies in the S&P. And then to now uh, actively manage ETFs like Cathie Wood's ARK funds, right? So I think it's a space that's very interesting. It's evolving, and, uh, but it's also something that has been with us for, for quite some time. So what's driving this interest? Uh, I think most would point towards uh, COVID-19 as being a driver since that this thematic investing really did become the buzzword in the past two years. But is there something more than that? I think thematic uh, investments and, and ETFs and portfolios have become more and more specific because that's, there's a real need to be more differentiated from the traditional index funds that just track, you know, Asia X Japan or S&P 500 or European equities and then world bonds. So uh, what ETF fund managers have done is to, to actually look at the listed space, public equities, and then really try and form different themes, right? And when we went through the early 2000s and the tech crash, uh, a lot of these uh, companies have actually grown in size. And actually because of the VC landscape, a lot of uh, um, unicorns have also gotten listed. So what, what you see here is a combination of a lot of like trends from the early 2000s where it's reaching a critical mass where fund managers can actually form exciting and focused ETFs uh, in the space, right? So that's why you have sub-themes like cloud computing, robotics, fintech, EVs, whereas in the early 2000s, you could not have this. 
right? So you're seeing the coming together of like uh, financial innovation, but also broader technological innovation. I actually don't think it's just because of uh, COVID-19. Yep, yep. But is there a risk of too much concentration? I mean, some would say that at the end of the day, it really doesn't really outperform the market in the long term. So why even bother? I agree with your statement to an extent, right? So I believe that it is very concentrated as well, but I would say on the balance side of things, it's actually not for everyone. Thematic investments, which are more concentrated, uh, are for people who have a higher risk tolerance. Yeah. So the potential, why someone would actually invest in, in thematic portfolios is because of the potential gains. You know, the risks are greater than just investing in a 60-40 portfolio. But I think it's really about the potential for outperformance because investing at the end of the day is a view and the, the, the results is in the is in the performance, right? So actually, if you look at how well the S&P has done, it's actually done 17% per annum over the last 10 years. But the tech ETF that I mentioned earlier, XLK by BlackRock, has done 23%, you know, obviously with more volatility. And then ARC, which is a relatively new fund, so Cathy Wood's uh, flagship fund, has done 40% over the last five years, you know, relatively new fund, but 40% versus 17% of the S&P with the volatility, I think would, would say that's worth the risk. Of course, that's that's me cherry picking some, some trends that have done very well, but also there are some laggards. Like if you look at uh, BRIC funds, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, ETFs, over the last 10 years, they've only done 4% per annum. So that's also really low. So at the end of the day, it's really about acknowledging the risk and structuring your portfolio's exposure to thematics to not more than say 20 to 30% of the overall portfolio. But I wouldn't say it's not worth the bother, right? It's, it's, a, it's a high conviction uh, investment on something more concentrated. Okay, well, let's talk a bit about like kind of a looking at the teams, how to build a team or look uh, compare a team. I mean, let's say like something like EV and cybersecurity, which some see as tech and disruptive. I mean, how do you decide and break down a team like that? How do you compare and contrast something like that? Yeah. So what we want to do is essentially give people uh, exposure to a theme, right? And then we have to look at the sub-themes within those things. So we currently offer three different themes and I'll focus on, let's say, a couple through this, through this chat today. So one is one that we offer currently is called Tech Enablers. That in itself is a very ambiguous theme because there's so many things that could go in it. But within Tech Enablers, it's really the infrastructure to support a lot of the tech innovation that you're seeing around us. Uh, and in the, in the, in the in industry as well. So we are talking about things like AI, robotics, uh, cloud computing, semiconductor, blockchain. So these are really things that underpin tech innovation, right? So Cathy Wood and uh, Ark call it tech platforms. Yeah. So I think overall, um, that's how we view the, the, the tech sector and that's how we build these portfolios. How do you think the role of valuation plays into thematic investing? I mean, a lot of these... Like Cathie Woods, right? You know, very renowned mm. for disruptive tech. But they can be, these this disruptive tech stocks, they can be trading at very high multiples relative to the broader market. So mm. is that an important factor to, to look into? What else do you consider then? Yeah, I think when it comes to tech stocks, the traditional value metrics like price to book, price to earnings really uh, don't apply until they reach maturity, right? When you have a, a, a listed tech company, that is undergoing massive scaling up, say something like Tesla and all that, before they reach profitability. You know, companies like Facebook and Amazon, when they listed, they weren't uh, profitable per se. 
And then when they reach, uh, they dominate their space and they reach profitability, then you can revert to those different metrics. So what we've seen is actually people looking to value these companies according to different metrics, things like uh, Metcalf's law, where they look at the value of um, the networks, because you can't just look at Meta, Facebook, and say, oh, it's making this amount of revenues and, and earnings, therefore it's expensive or not, right? You have to see the ecosystem. You have to see the businesses that it owns and the value of each customer and the magnifying effect that can come from it because they are value creative, like they pay money to be part of that, um, to be that ecosystem, right? Advertisers come as opposed to users who use it for free. So we have to look at it in a different way. And if I was to be so bold, I would also say that certain fund managers like Warren Buffett have missed the whole tech trend and ultimately have to go in with a massive premium into things like Apple, which is now one of its largest holdings. So yes, valuation is a, is, is sometimes an art and, and, and a science, but we have to look at different metrics. Okay, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Weeboon, and today's topic is thematic investing. Joining me to discuss this is Wong Wai Candy, Malaysia Country Manager for the Robo Advisor Stash Away. Ken, let's take a look at some of the popular trends in thematic investing this year. And let's start with tech. How has tech performed as a sector, and how do we assess a tech themed investment ETF? Yeah, so when we look at the overall ETF landscape, we, we saw these sub themes. And then we try and group them in a way which was fundamentally uh, that, that made sense to forming a portfolio that would represent the scene, but also would provide some form of diversification because there's clear distinction, say, from something like AI to something like semiconductors to something like robotics, even though they are correlated and they are uh, intermingling in terms of uh, the usage of each other's technology. Right? You can't have uh, AI running without a server and kind of a server run without a some sort of um, uh, semiconductors inside. So, you know, to your question, I think tech has done very well. I think we are all products of the late uh, late 90s and the early 2000s. And what we've seen actually is the rise and continuous rise of uh, tech, which is, it coined a new term mega tech, mega cap, as opposed to just big cap, large cap. And, and these tech companies now dominate 30% of the S&P 500 in terms of the industry weightage. And the largest six companies, not six of the top 10, but the largest six companies in the US listed space is now tech companies, right? So as I mentioned just now, XLK has done really well. Uh, it tracks tech companies in the S&P. It has done 23% over the last 10 years you know, per annum. Semiconductor sector has done really well, especially after last year where there was a shortage. In the last five years, it's done uh, 35% per annum. Very, very good. Esports, something a little bit more, you know, our viewers can can relate, um, has done very well as well. It's a it's a new listed kind of vehicle. Esports have done thirty eight percent over the last uh, three years you know, per annum. So that's twenty three percent broad sector, semiconductors thirty five percent per annum. Esports thirty eight percent. So there's a lot of interesting things to choose from, and the risk reward is really there. Okay, so risk reward, right? I mean, let's talk about it. The general mm. risks and opportunities in investing in tech. How do you assess the spectrum? Where do you mm. see the risks? Where do you see the opportunities? And when do you kind of like balance both of these? I'm glad you brought that up because we always have to remind clients that while they are very exciting, you know, these themes, we really need to look at the, the risks and we need to understand the benefits of investing in an ETF as opposed to single stocks like like just Tesla or just Square, 
or just Twitter, right? I think I've already talked about the sector gains, but let's acknowledge the, the risks as well. I think the first thing that, that comes from is that the broader volatility is really more pronounced than the, the broader sector, just because it's less diversified. And overall, it's a prospective space. So people will be very bullish about it when they're very bullish and very bearish when they're very bearish. So uh, the volatility is, you know, speaks for itself. And actually, uh, there, there are certain larger risks, like regulatory risk. Like over the last year, we saw the kind of worst case scenario for, for an industry where the Chinese government kind of came down really, really hard on the large mega caps in China around um, Tencent and Alibaba, right? These large so-called monopolies and they look to regulate other sectors like edutech and, um, and gaming, right? So the risks are present. Even though these companies have commercial uh, tech and their earnings are growing, there's still a larger risk of, of uh, regulation and there's still other, other risks like the tech not reaching maturity. The overall, risk, overall uh, risks are still there. But we think that if you structure it well within your portfolio and you are comfortable with the volatility, the risk-reward will be commensurate. What do you think are the general misconceptions when you talk to someone about investing in tech teams? Ah, okay, good good point. So I think, first of all, there's the survivor bias. Um, everyone lauds Tesla when, when it's done very well, but people forget that for a while, things were very, very perilous uh, for that company. There was a real risk that it was not only going to be privatized, but it was going to be, be, be undergo bankruptcy. And um, now that it's done well, I think people assume sometimes that these tech companies are overnight successes, right? So I, I looked up the list of companies of and who were the fastest to reach a 1 trillion US dollar valuation, right, a market cap. And Facebook reached 1 trillion uh, in market cap after 17 years of being in, 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 uh, in, in existence. And Tesla took 18 years so, so these are companies really born in the you know early 2000s, and they're only hitting this huge household name success after close to 20 years, right? And I think people should not assume that any of these tech enablers will be something that that uh, does well in two years, five years, right? We really have to be looking for at least 10 years to to have these come into fruition. And then there's also other companies that face a very, very difficult path towards IPO, right? The, you know, Meta and Tesla have done very well after IPO, but companies like WeWork, famously notorious, Airbnb uh, hit very hard by, by COVID. They had very difficult paths towards IPO, right? Grab, which just listed a huge success in terms of getting to that milestone, but ultimately on their first day, still uh, under IPO price. So I would say that's why we have to take a, a portfolio approach to investing in tech as opposed to trying to cherry pick winners and uh, seeming like a, like a hero, right? Uh, ETF approach or fund approach is, is safer ultimately. Let's <laughs> say you're talking to someone who's very bearish in this aspect, right? Because mm. uh, honestly, looking at the short term or the medium term, I don't see another Netflix. I don't see another Facebook. I don't see another Amazon or Apple. At the near future or the medium term future, I don't 
you know, but again, you know, if I could, then obviously I'll be a billionaire. So how do you mm-hmm. talk about the, the longevity of uh, investing in tech, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, when you look back at these, uh, these the current fangs or what, whatever name they're called now, mm-hmm. the potential of growth in the next five years is still quite amazing, right? You know, Facebook mm-hmm. with Meta, uh, Apple with electric cars or whatnot. But I, when I look mm. even further longer, I really can't imagine what's it going to be. So how do then mm. I believe in it, the longevity of that? Right. No, I think that's why these tech themes are actually ultimately very disruptive. It's because we don't see it coming. And then as the saying goes, it's slowly, 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 and then all at once. I obviously, being the age that I am and, and, and you are as well, you remember that we weren't taking... Uh, grabs right in strangers' cars. We were in Airbnb in strangers' couches. We were going to hotels and taking taxis, right? And we weren't necessarily happy with the experience, but here we are. And um, what we are also seeing is the 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 disruptions like COVID, which really accelerate things like like e-commerce, right? So I think the the catalyst for disruption and for for fast adoption are are really there. And then when apart from all of this. There's, there's also huge potential technologies that we're seeing um, really, really hit those S-curves where it's really going parabolic, right? I don't think I could add any more hype to blockchain and cryptocurrency technology. There's so We are talking at times where Bitcoin and Ethereum are at close to all-time highs, but the underlying technology is actually very disruptive. And I would say that uh, the next uh, unicorns and the next deca, decacons would come out of this space. Actually, some of them are already raising uh, billions of dollars from VCs, right? So this space, which includes NFTs and the metaverse, probably will spawn the next uh, mega large cap tech companies. And to your point about existing tech companies, they're going to get an extra wind where uh, these large mega caps are going to invest in the future. Right, and you're going to see another second wind of investment, and then potential of that paying off as well. So Square, you know, re rebranded itself to block Facebook to Meta. Right, Apple is going to into cars and potentially even driverless cars. Right, it's not our job really to pick winners. It's our job to have conviction in terms of these sub themes, and ultimately form portfolios that that confirm this view. All right. Since you mentioned COVID, let's move on to healthcare, which is another team that's quite um, has been burgeoning lately. Even you in Stashway, you have a healthcare team. Uh, how how do we look at a healthcare team? Because mm. it's hard not to think about COVID nineteen, and as we strive towards uh, the new normal, normalizing COVID nineteen. I know we have a new variant out, but you know, mm. how do we look at a healthcare team objectively? I think COVID aside, obviously. Healthcare is a huge sector, right? And then there's, let's also make the distinction between the traditional healthcare space and healthcare innovation. I think people think that traditional healthcare is a defensive sector and most of the time it is, right? Hospitals and pharmaceutical companies continue to be, you know, counter-cyclical and and relatively stable companies because of their business model. But there are also a lot of large companies healthcare companies and new innovative healthcare companies that have R&D arms that contribute to uh, future innovation, right? So, so that's why when we look at the sub-themes in the healthcare space, which include biotech, genomics, medical devices, and, um, and pharmaceuticals, it's, it's a very, very uh, disruptive space as well. And let me give you some stats on how well these 
healthcare sectors have done. So the, U, the general US healthcare sector, at least in the listed space, has done 17% over the last 10 years you know, per annum. Biotech has done 21% per annum the last 10 years. And ARC's genomics fund has done 29% over the last uh, five years per annum. So, so these are very, very good risk return numbers as, as well. And you talk about the new normal, right? And I guess what you're pointing at is, is this healthcare uh, demand for healthcare stocks and valuations going to come down perhaps after? Um, I think that as we emerge from the pandemic, there's actually going to be more investments made in the public healthcare and the vaccine preparedness space. So I think the long-term sustainability of the sector is actually, shall I say, pun intended, very, very healthy, right? But where do the risks and opportunities lie then when you're looking mm. at investing in healthcare? It obviously is very different from something like tech, which I wouldn't say is very apparent, but you can immediately make surface level assumptions. But what about healthcare? So I think it's actually quite similar because you're basically betting on the future, even though the path to commercialization and the path to rapidly scaling and becoming very profitable is not the same, right? So not every company creates a wonder drug. Not every company passes uh, the FDA approval when it comes to some of their, their drugs. So the commercial successes are not guaranteed. You really need to look at a portfolio approach and you can see that even Pfizer, this massive company, they buy up smaller companies to, to get access to their R&D. Without BioNTech, Pfizer would not have the vaccine, arguably. So it's all these kind of um, corporate investments and also investments in the public space that drive innovation because innovation still needs capital. So there's, there's also a high risk of failure of, of every, uh, every company in terms of commercializing their drugs, but the ones that do make it dominate the space because they get to get, have exclusivity on these drugs for a very long time before the generics come out, right? So I think overall, the risks are similar to tech stocks, even though we may not have that, that mindset of, uh, oh, I know Netflix, I know Meta, but they're, but they're out there and they're a huge industry. So people still need to be very aware of the risks that can happen. And that's all the time we have for Ringgit and Cents. I've been speaking to Wong Wai Candy, Malaysia Country Manager for the Robo Advisor Stash Away. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. Ringgit and cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.